0: Good morning. This past week, I did something new. I'm a boy from the Berg. I grew up in Pittsburgh, but there's something in Pittsburgh that I have never done in my life until this past year. I went to the aviary. I mean, I loved it. It was really cool. It was a great thing because there are some great rooms that you can just sit down there and it's just peaceful. It's just quiet. It's just the birds chirping. It was so nice. You know, one of the birds that I'm very fascinated with at the aviary and in life in general is the bald eagle. Yeah, I don't know if you knew this, but the bald eagle is our national bird here in America. You know, and the bald eagle is fascinating. But you knew, I'm sure you knew, the bald eagle almost went extinct a, few, uh, a couple decades ago. In 1960, the bald eagle almost went extinct. Do you know why? Because in the 1960s, they put out DDT to kill off the insects. And then what happened was the insects ate the DDT. Then those insects were eaten by fish, who the fish were then eaten by the bald eagles. And then the bald eagles basically got like this mega dose of the DDT. And then before they knew it, they were laying eggs that were very uh, weak in their condition. And the babies were not surviving. And the population was just dwindling. It was this hidden pollutant that was destroying this species. You know, the reality is this, in our life, in our journey, there are hidden pollutants that can destroy us too, emotionally and spiritually, and just who we are. And these hidden pollutants have the ability to stir within our own heart and cause erosion internally within our own selves that occurs subtly and then can spread quickly all throughout the fabric of who we are, the choices that we make, the attitudes that we have, that all begins with the erosion of our heart. You see, I'm here to tell you today who and what you surround yourself with matters. It matters. In fact, who or what you, you surround yourself with can either strengthen who you are or cause erosion from within. The Apostle Paul, was one of the the most popular authors in the New Testament understood this. He got this. In fact, if you read his letters in the New Testament, you'll often see people who he highlights at the beginning or the end of the letters. It was his intentional community that he surrounded himself with because he knew he would not be able to achieve what God called him to if it was not for those people he surrounded himself with. That's where he found his strength, was in the community that he had. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 33, the Apostle Paul Paul wrote these words, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. You know, right here, Paul is telling us who we surround ourselves with matters. It will either build you up or it will slowly destroy you from within. He says, do not be misled. In other words, who or what you surround yourself with has the ability to persuade you. We are all creatures of persuasion, and we are being persuaded every single day by the surroundings that we are in, the people we hang out with, the things that we watch, the music we listen to, whatever it may be, who or what you surround yourself with is the influences that is persuading who you are. Because Paul says what you surround yourself with, if it's bad company, it corrupts. It causes this erosion from within yourself. You know, erosion is one of those amazing things in geography. In fact, the most forceful power on planet Earth that causes erosion is water. Water is amazingly powerful that erodes the earth over time. I mean, we have three rivers in Pittsburgh, and I bet if you looked at Pittsburgh 100 years ago, it would be different from today. Why? Because of the power of water that erodes. And what happens with water and erosion is not something that happens overnight. It's not like you're going to go down, down to three rivers and see them and then wake up tomorrow and say, whoa, the Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh completely changed. It's not going to happen. Why? Because it happens slowly. It happens subtly. And the same thing is true within our own hearts. You're not going to wake up tomorrow and all of a sudden become a person like, what, why did I become like this? What happened to me? It's going to happen over time. Over time, the influences that surround you has the ability to persuade your heart and cause erosion. When I was in elementary, we did this um, science project. I still remember today. We took a piece of celery and we stuck it in a cup of water. And then we put colored dye in the water. And then we came back the next day and we saw the piece of celery became that color of dye. Why? Because over time, overnight, the, the celery bec- succumbed to its surroundings and then its surroundings became what it looked like. And the same is true for us. Slowly, over time what we surround ourselves will either build us up or slowly erode us from within. And before you know it, you start to look like your surroundings. That's the reality of life. And that's what Paul's saying here. Do not be misled because bad company corrupts. If you are surrounding yourself with bad influences, it will slowly erode you from within and corrupt you to the point to where it will affect your character. You know, Paul says bad company corrupts good character. Before you know it, if you allow it to happen by the surroundings you have, you will start to find yourself making choices or acting out in ways that you thought, I thought I would never do that. How did I become this person? How did I get involved with this? I said I would never do this. I said I would never be this person. But then before you know it, you realize, I'm exactly what I said I would never be. Why? Because the more we allow bad company to surround us and persuade us, like die going up through the celery, it becomes who we are. And before you know it, you're doing things that you thought you would never do before. You've become like that what is persuading you. And I want you to know something. You have a choice. Every one of us has a choice. We have a choice who we surround ourselves with. You have a choice what influences you allow into your life by the people you hang out with, by what you watch, by what you listen to. You have a choice. We all do. You see, my friends, the people we choose to surround ourselves with influence our behavior. They truly do. What you surround yourself with influences who you are. Are And so often we tend to be attracted by the very things that we struggle from within. It's like this magnetic force. You know, what happens is we start to have these struggles or questions or whatever from within us. And before we know it, we tend to be pulled towards influences that tend to... um, exemplify and build upon what is already within us and what we're struggling with and we cannot escape it we are relational beings the influences that surround us motivate us towards the choices we make the behaviors that we have and that's what we see with a couple people in the new testament in fact, this final week that led up to Jesus on the cross when he gave up his life for us, there was two people, two disciples who were big players this week, you know, who had amazing storylines that paralleled with each other but had different results in the end. Both of them were influenced by their surroundings. Both of them made poor choices. The first was Judas. Judas, as I'm sure you've heard, is the one who betrayed Jesus. You know, in the smart theologian world of people, they, they debate on what really was the root cause that, that, that pushed Judas towards betraying Jesus. You know, there's some theologians that, that believe it was greed. He was, he was a greedy person. Others believe that there was jealousy, that he was beginning to become jealous with other disciples and, and, the, and the focus that Jesus had on other disciples. And there's another viewpoint that believes that he was disappointed with the expectation of who the Messiah was supposed to be. You know, in that time period, they were overwhelmed by the Roman rule. And politically, they were beaten down as a people. And the Jewish community believed and hoped that the Messiah who was to come would come as a king that would wipe out the Roman rule and give him freedom. And that's what the heart that Judas had, he, that was his expectation. And then when his expectations of who the Messiah was supposed to be was met with the reality of who Jesus was, he was disappointed. Because it wasn't what he was hoping it to be. It wasn't what he expected. And you know, you wonder what, was the cause that led Judas to that. And I believe, you know, I believe that maybe it was all three. I think all three of those factors came into play in Judas's heart that pushed him towards the brink of betrayal. In fact, in John chapter 12, we see a very interesting story where Judas and the disciples and Jesus were at Mary and Martha's house and they were all gathered together and Mary brought out perfume and washed Jesus' feet with the perfume and, and then Jesus, Judas kind of called out Jesus and Mary. Why in the world did you do that? You could have sold that perfume and sold it to the poor. And in that moment, Judas was trying to act all high and mighty and holy. Look how great I am. And then this is written about him in John 12, verse 6. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money, of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. You see, you begin to see the erosion happening within his own heart. And I think ultimately Judas was disappointed. He was disappointed because his expectations of who he wanted Jesus to be and the reality of who Jesus really was just clashed. It clashed. And I think that's what happens to us. You see, like Judas, I think we tend to get derailed when our expectations meet reality. So often we are so focused on our expectations of what reality should be. That when we're faced with reality. We're, uh, we're just we have a war within ourselves because it's not what we expected it's not what we wanted you know in every environment in our life in every relationship that we have we carry with our expectations we have expectations within our family and how things should happen at different times when we get together we have expectations within our own society we have expectations at work we have expectations when we walk into church and how we how we expect church to be and we even have expectations on how we view Jesus and who Jesus should be to us we all have expectations that we carry around with us and we need to be real with that because sadly sometimes our expectations create a false reality within us and then before we know it our expectations clash with reality and so I think there's a really valid question we need to ask ourselves are the expectations that you have realistic I mean just be real with yourself for right now The expectations that you carry in life, how you view Jesus, in your relationships, are they realistic? Are they realistic? I remember when I was a teenager... And I went to this weekend retreat. It's called PCTC. And and I was so excited this one particular year because one of my best friends from school was coming along. I invited him, and he was going to join us for this weekend. And I thought, this is going to be great. I'm going to have one of my friends there. We're going to have a great weekend. It's going to be so much fun. We're going to enjoy the weekend. And then something crazy happened. He began to make friends with other kids in the youth group, which in reality was pretty awesome. You know, because he's building relationships with other kids in the church and getting plugged in. But that wasn't my expectation. I wanted to hang out with him that weekend. I wanted to have fun that weekend. And I remember one night in particular, we went to the main uh, worship event, and I sat down in this one row, and then my buddy and and the other guys from the youth group were walking in, and I was expecting they would sit right down next to me. And then before I know it, I looked around, and they sat in a row behind me and I was sitting there by myself and I started to get angry and I started to get disappointed. In fact, I got up and I walked out of that worship service because it, what I expected in my buddies to sit next to me didn't happen, and I was very upset. And so I started to leave the worship service, and I walked out the back of the worship service. And I remember the main speaker that weekend, I was walking face to face to him, and, and, and I thought, oh, you know, maybe he'll see that I'm upset, and he'll talk to me, and he'll, he'll help me out. And, and, I, ta- and I, I came up to him, and then he was kind of a comedian speaker, and then he started. The cracking jokes with me and, 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 and having fun and stuff like that. And then I just walked away angry even more. How did he not see I was upset? How did he not see the problem I'm dealing with? And I left that worship service all mad and upset. And I walked in the bathroom. I'm like, I'm done. I'm out of here. And I wonder how many times we do that. Were my buddies wrong for sitting the row behind me? No. I could have easily gotten up and sat next to them. Was that speaker wrong because he didn't see, oh, Bill, there's really something wrong in your eyes? No, he never, that's the first time he ever saw me. But yet so often we carry these expectations and these expectations on other people and on the church and other things. And then when our expectations and oftentimes our unspoken expectations don't get met, we walk away disappointed and frustrated and then just wars within us. And it just festers and it grows. And I think that's kind of what happened with Judas. I think the expectation of what he wanted the Messiah to be, what he wanted Jesus to be, and what really was, <clears throat> clashed. And, and it just messed with what the reality he thought it was supposed to be. And when, it, when that clashes, it just creates a struggle within our own heart. And it just seems like the more and more these struggles just fester within us, the louder the noise becomes all around us. And I'll be real with you, my friends, this world has gotten pretty loud. This world has got so loud from all the different voices, all the different opinions. You go onto the TV, you go onto social media, you go onto the YouTubes, wherever you want to go, the voices and the opinions are just so loud and it just seems like it's just tormenting us more and more. And if we're not careful, we begin to allow these noises to magnify the struggle that's within our own heart. And oftentimes, it just becomes this endless abyss that we just cannot break free from. We just feel like we're stuck in it. And it all happens because of what we surround ourselves with. And I think maybe, just maybe, this is what happened to Judas. His expectations for Jesus clashed with the reality of who Jesus was. And it warred within him. And the struggles just festered and grew and grew until he surrounded himself with people that enticed the internal struggle of that bad behavior and those poor choices. Until it reached this boiling point in Luke 22, verses three through six. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the 12. And Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus they were delighted and agreed to give him money. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. And then from that point on, Judas led the, the Roman officials and guards to Gethsemane where Jesus was praying. And with a simple kiss, he betrayed his king. And then from that moment on, and you can read about this in Matthew 27. From that moment on, Judas was filled with remorse and ran into isolation that led him to his final demise. You know, here's, here's the truth behind it all. When poor choices are made and the consequences of those poor choices become reality, then we often learn who really is our support network. Who really is there for us. And so often the community that we thought we, the, bat, the, the company that we thought we surrounded ourselves with that egged us on to make those poor choices all of a sudden aren't there when consequences arise. You see, Judas, he ran back to the high priests. Immediately after all this happened, he ran back to them. Guys, listen, he said. I was wrong. He's innocent. I messed up. Please, let him go. He's not a criminal, take the money back. I don't even want it anymore. And you know what the high priest said to, that, said to Judas? What's this to us? I mean, this was your choice, Judas. I mean, this is on your hands. This is your responsibility. And then from there, Judas ran into isolation. And he hid. You know, so often, my friends, poor behavior and poor choices will ultimately create isolation. That's what it does. Because what happens is when we surround ourselves with bad company and it corrupts us and, and corrupts our good character that leads us to bad choices and bad behavior, before we know it, because of those bad choices and because of that poor behavior, we begin to push away everybody else, which just leads us to isolation. And isolation is a significant and powerful persuader in itself. This is because in isolation, we become the subject of our own internal battle, of our own words, of our own thinking, of everything that's worn within our heart and our minds. That becomes the voices that we hear. That's the community that we begin to surround ourselves with. Isolation is a scary place to be. And before you know it, what is inside of you becomes the reality of your life when you find yourself in isolation. My friends, isolation is the recipe for internal destruction. It really is. The more we isolate ourselves from intentional, healthy community, the more internally we get destroyed. We erode away. You know, one of the most intriguing storylines of the crucifixion is not just Judas, <clears throat> but Peter. Peter's story is paralleled with Judas' story. I, I really find this fascinating. <clears throat> like Judas, Peter was struggling. He was really struggling with him. Who is Jesus? What is happening? What's going on? I'm so lost. I'm so confused. I can just only imagine what's going on with Peter. And the night that Jesus was betrayed in that garden... First, he was saying, Jesus, I will never betray you. Then he was trying to be forceful with the guards and with his his sword trying to cut off an ear and protecting Jesus. And then he followed Jesus. He was the only disciple who followed Jesus. And what was about to happen, Jesus predicted that very night, Peter, you're going to betray me. No way, he said. This is impossible. Yet again, this shows the powerful influence Of those we surround ourselves with because there jesus was arrested peter was in the courtyard surrounded by the crowd of people the mob of people and it just seemed like he was outnumbered and then he buckled under pressure and then it happened wait you followed jesus i i don't know nope i don't know him never never was with him wait you're Galilean. <clears throat> you were with Jesus. I'm telling you, I don't know the man, he said. No, no, this guy, he was definitely with Jesus. And then the Bible says he called out, I don't know the man. In fact, the Greek reveals it was such a bold and heavy call out that he was basically cussing. I don't know him. And then it happened. The rooster crowed. And then one of the most powerful Verses, I feel, in this whole storyline is Luke 22, verses 61 through 62. The Bible says, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you would have me three times. And he went inside and he wept, or I'm sorry, he went outside and wept bitterly. This verse challenges me because I can't get out of my mind the eyes of Jesus in that moment. I just can't stop thinking about the face of Jesus in that moment when Peter realized, I messed up. I became the very person I said I would never become. And in that moment, the eyes of the Son of God in all of his pain and anguish and disappointment looks directly into the eyes of Peter and all I can think about when I read those words are the moments in my life when I was Peter the moments in my life when I allowed the crowd to motivate me to poor choices to deny Jesus and how Jesus would just look at me Bill why why did you do that You know, Jesus looking at Peter's cut him to the heart. He realized what he had done. He was humiliated and he was ashamed and he was broken. Why? Because he allowed this crowd of people to influence him to make a poor choice, to deny Jesus. And so often, I think, in our life, we do that because persuasion is powerful. We allow other people to persuade us so often, maybe because we feel like we're outnumbered, maybe because we feel like we don't want to stick out like a sore thumb, we don't want to be different, we don't want to be questioned, we don't want to be challenged, whatever it might be. We just kind of go with the crowd like Peter did. And can I just be honest with you? So often when we go with the crowd, we don't realize the power of persuasion that we have ourselves. We never fully understand when we allow someone to persuade us how that affects our ability to be able to persuade somebody else and be hope. I'll never forget when I was in high school, I made horrible choices. I was a person who was so focused on running with the crowd. I played football. I wanted to be popular. I I wanted to fit in with my friends. But then it got real for me. Jesus did. I had to come to a point, you know what? I'm not living the life I should be living. I, I want to be real. And that was in my sophomore year when I decided, you know what? I, I got I, I to make a better choice. I, I want Jesus. I want to follow him. I'm not happy with the choices I'm making and the consequences I'm dealing with because of those choices. And I did not become a crazy odd for God, standing on the cafeteria table and proclaiming the word of God. All I did was I started making different choices. And my friends noticed. I went from having a place to sit in the cafeteria to wondering where am I gonna sit. I quickly learned who my real friends were. And I didn't go to the parties like I used to because I wasn't really a fan anymore of what was going on and the consequences I had to go through because of some of those parties. this one night, I was like, I still want to hang out with the guys. And so I went back to one of the parties and I was just sitting on the couch. I remember sitting there on the couch and I just thought, boy, this is I I feel like an idiot because everybody's up there being their stuff, doing their stuff and I'm not willing to do that anymore and I'm just here. And then it happened. There's this younger guy He sat down on the couch next to me. And I'll be honest, he had some alcohol in his system. And he looked over at me and he said, Bill, you're a Christian, aren't you? I said, yeah, I am. And then in that moment, in the most bizarre way, he began to ask me, Bill, can you pray for me? Because there's stuff going on at home and, and I just can you just pray for me? And all of a sudden I realized, I'd have to be some lunatic on, this, on the cafeteria table. But if I just, started making, if I just stopped allowing the, the crowd to persuade me, and I just started making decisions on my own, that subtle change began to make difference in people's lives. Someone was starting to see hope. And that can be your story too. Don't allow the outside forces to persuade you into poor choices that limits your opportunity to be a source of hope in somebody else's life. You have no idea what abilities you have to be hope. Just by going, just by not allowing the crowd, the bad company, to consume you and corrupt you. See, Judas... He struggled within and he found the crowd to persuade him in the direction that he wanted to go. To create the reality that he wanted. And it led him to isolation. It led him to brokenness, isolation, and and he was was just destroyed. But Peter, although he allowed the crowd to influence him to a poor, poor choice... He did not allow that to cause him to go into isolation. You see, Peter's next choice was to get back up and run to the community, to run with the other disciples. In fact, later on, you see that Peter and the other disciples locked themselves away in a house where they found encouragement and strengthened each other. You see, Peter found his way back to intentional community where he was restored and built back up. And you have a choice, too. Every one of us has a choice what we surround ourselves with. Is it a crowd that's going to try to entice the struggles that we have within? Is it going to be a crowd that just motivates us to fit in with what everybody else is doing? Or is it going to be an intentional community that is there to encourage you in helping make the next right steps that your heart and your life may be restored from within. We have a choice. And sometimes our choices lead us towards brokenness, but I want to tell you, in your brokenness, we have a choice to either isolate or engage. You know, our surroundings make significant impacts on our hearts. And sometimes our surroundings slowly corrupt our hearts and cause us to isolate and and break us down, or it can build us up. You know, after the resurrection story... When Jesus came back to life, a little while later, we see Peter and the, and the other disciples with Jesus centered around a fire, cooking a meal. And then there in that moment, Jesus asked Peter three very important questions. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Jesus, I love you. No, Peter, do you love me? Yeah, I love you. Feed my sheep. Peter, yeah, man, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Feed my sheep. In that moment, in the intentional community that Peter found with Jesus and disciples, he was restored. You see, my friends, good company restores us by encouraging us and helping us see what our purpose is in life. It motivates us to good choices. It motivates us to good behavior and see who we are truly to become. It's all about who we surround ourselves with and what community we run towards. Please don't miss out on this important truth. It's so basic, but so important to not forget. Bad company corrupts. Good company restores. Who you surround yourself with matters. You have the choice in this. And life is a journey, And through the journey, sometimes we're left broken and beaten up. And sometimes we're left disappointed. And sometimes because of that, we fall. And in those moments, who we have surround us will either continue to beat us down or build us up. In fact, in the Old Testament, Ecclesiastes, it's written, chapter 4, beginning in verse 9, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. This first challenges me, motivates me, and sometimes breaks my heart. Because sometimes because of the community we surround ourselves with that motivates us to bad choices, we find ourselves pushing people away into isolation. And so often we find ourselves broken with no one there to build us back up, to pick us back up. But my friend, if we can find ourselves in good intentional community to build us up, we will find the ability to be restored. We will find who we are. You see, those bad behaviors, those poor choices is not what has to define you. Don't live in isolation thinking your bad choices is what defines you. It does not. Peter was not defined. By those choices. He was defined as being the rock. Why? Because after he messed up, he made the next right choice and ran toward the community and was restored and became the rock that God called him to be. That can be your story. Who are you surrounding yourself with? You know, here at Impact, we value intentional community and we have intentional community in what are called Growth groups—it's where groups of people can get together, where they can really encourage each other, help each other take their next step, grow in God's word together, and explore the heart of God and motivate each other towards that heart of God together. And I know that some of you here online or in person are not, maybe not familiar with growth groups. Maybe you're thinking, Bill, <clears throat> I, I, I'm not ready to jump into a small group where people are going to talk about the Bible. I don't even know what to expect in there. I'm kind of afraid to take that step. Because I don't really know what to expect in there. If that's you, we would love just to grab a cup of coffee and talk to you about that. And, and no pressure. We just want to tell you about all the great things that happen within growth groups. What they're all about. Answer your questions to help you learn more about what that is. Because it is a great place where I believe that if you invest into an intentional community of a growth group, you will find encouragement and strength in your own heart and in your own journey. In fact, we think it's so important, if you're not in a growth group yet, you're not connected with a growth group, we'd love to talk to you. We would love to get you a cup of coffee. The first 50 people that either fill out a connect card in-house or online or even go back to our Engage Impact booth, we have, we're guaranteeing you a cup of coffee. The first 50 people, we have a Starbucks coffee waiting for you. We just want a chance to talk to you more about what the growth groups are all about, how it can be a blessing in your life and your journey. Will you take us up on a cup of coffee, just for some time for us to talk to you a bit more about what the growth groups are all about and how they can be a blessing for you? Fill out in the connect card, just put growth groups, whether in-house or online, or come back to see one of our our, um, uh, leaders at the Engage Impact and you can get a card today but we would love to talk to you a little bit about the growth groups and how you can be blessed by investing in that community because who you surround yourself with matters. It matters. Don't live in isolation. Don't be destroyed by the erosion that happens because of isolation or the influences around us. Find the intentional community that will restore you to the heart of God and you can experience the fullness of life that God wants to give. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I thank you because you, you are good. And Father God, in these moments, so often I just reflect on my past and my journey. And Lord, how I so often have either, you know, been surrounded by the crowd and was just more focused on trying to fit in. Or Lord God, how I surrounded myself with people who just kind of encouraged the poor behavior that I was wrestling with from within. But Lord God, help us to find intentional community that will love us for who we are and where we are at, that will encourage us to take the next steps closer to your heart that we can experience a life that only you provide. Father, we love you and we praise you because you died for us to give us life and to give us a community better than anything else we could ever experience. And we give you all the glory and praise for that. It's in your name we pray, amen.